Welcome to the MOH Podcast. I'm Jim Patton, your host, and we're here for MOH Podcast number 11. Now, if you haven't listened to number 10, you need to go back and listen to episode number 10. Episode number 10 was the conditions for receiving guidance from the Lord. And in the next, oh, I guess that looks like I got about three more episodes that we'll be dealing with this one. And uh, the one for this week uh, is actually um, what you would call, I think Winky would call this supernatural methods of guidance. Uh, these are things having to do with uh, hearing the voice of the Lord, visions, dreams, things like that. And uh, there's uh, two more to come after this, but this week we're going to start with supernatural methods of guidance. And uh, so if you're ready, here we go. This morning on methods of guidance, the, the ways in which God speaks. We have already said there are some conditions which must be met. Uh, I'd say these are, these are pretty basic rules. I don't say they're the hard and fast rules. I'll just say that if there is a problem, a continuous problem in your life in, in, in getting guidance from God, I would check these five things. They're not complicated things. We said you must be willing to do whatever God says before he shows you. That's a hard one. We said you must have no personal right standing in the way. You mustn't say, God, um, I will do this as long as you don't or as long as you let me. You can't say that kind of thing. And then the willingness to be counted a fool, uh, the willingness to look a jerk in the eyes of the world, and then a clean conscience from the past. In other words, uh, holding on to some uh, personal private sin in your life is bound to block the voice of God. And all he'll speak to you about, if you hanging on to this, is, is uh, getting that sin cleaned up. And then finally... Spending regular time in prayer and in the Word of God. Now, I don't want you to be legalistic about the prayer and the Word of God thing, but if we're not soaking ourselves in the Word of God, we don't talk to God. If we don't get to know Him, we won't know how to recognize His voice. And if we don't know this book, we really won't know the principles of God. It's a shocking number of people are graduating from Bible college today. They've never even read the Bible through once. What would you think of a Shakespearean actor who had never read any of Shakespeare's plays? What would you think of a chemist who had never even finished one basic textbook? And here are people who claim to represent God who have never even read his book through once. How would you like to go to heaven and run into Obadiah and say, Oops, sorry, I never read your book. <laughs> <laughs> who are you? Oh, you're Obadiah. Oh, yeah. Well, I did get into Matthew and John. I better go and talk to them. And I know... Know Psalm 23 pretty well. Now, having met those fundamental conditions, God has spoken to man very many different ways. And I'm going to give you some of these that are in the scriptures. There are three basic methods in which God speaks. One of them, we'll, we'll call them supernatural, corporeal, and personal. And uh, by that, we mean this. Supernatural is the, the freaky ones. These are the ones we all like to have. The Lord spoke to me. His voice was the sound of many waters. Yeah. This is the guidance from the body. This is uh, group guidance. Guidance that comes from a multitude of counselors in which there is safety. And then there's personal guidance. 
which is just daily, ordinary, everyday direction of God in your heart and life. I'm going to look at each one of these forms of guidance in a little bit of detail and show you some signs and some tests possibly for this. Um, I'd like you to write down first the voice of God. The audible voice of God. Now, I'm convinced of this. God can speak to people today in an audible voice. He did it in the Old Testament, he did it in the New Testament, and he has done it today. And um, though this is uh, not something that happens every day, it, it has happened. And uh, I've met a number of people who have heard the voice of God. And I'll tell you something about it. Most people who hear the voice of God are exceedingly reluctant to tell somebody else about it. There is something very scary and very humbling and very awesome about the voice of God and it, it tends to make you shut up very quickly. Uh, when I was a young Christian, I really wanted to hear God speak to me. I mean in a voice. I've been saved about eight, nine months and I thought, I heard everybody say, you know, God spoke to me and I thought, oh man, this is completely unfair. Um, you know, God had said he didn't have any favorites. And I, I want to hear the voice of God. I want you to speak to me, God. I didn't know what, what I wanted him to say. I just wanted him to say something. Um, so I got my Bible, and I got my sleeping bag, and we're out in the camp way up in the Buai, which is out back. And uh, I went out there. It was about 12 o'clock midnight, and everybody else in the camp was asleep, and I got my sleeping bag, got my Bible, and I stretched out under a tree, and then I started shouting that God would speak to me. Great prayer, intercession, storming heaven. I will not take no for an answer. I want you to speak to me. Pound, pound. Very bold. <laughs> I was pounding away, and praying away, and time passed, and after a while, I noticed, this is uh, sometime, I noticed that all of the crickets had shut up, all of the birds had stopped singing, <laughs> and all the frogs had stopped croaking. And there was just absolute silence there under that tree. And I realized I would seem to be the only person in the entire universe talking. I, I can't describe to you the sense of silence that came down in that place. But I, I suddenly realized it was quite shocking that everything in the world was still. And you know what I did? I stopped talking. I didn't want to, I was scared to say anything. Here all the birds going, uh-oh, and shut up. <laughs> the frog stopped, cricket stopped, it even sound like the sea stopped, which was out in the back there somewhere. There was that an uncanny sort of silence. And you know, I was there on my knees, and I stopped pounding, and I thought, Brother, why is it so quiet around here? And I remember looking through my knees behind me, thinking, you know, this, <laughs> why is it quiet here, man? I saw something white immediately behind me, just white. I don't know what it was. You know what I did? I picked up my Bible and my sleeping bag, and without looking back, I headed right back, <laughs> right back to my 
my bunk and jumped in, put the pillow over my head, and went immediately to sleep. <laughs> that was the last time I ever prayed that prayer. I woke up in the morning. I woke up in the morning with my mind just filled with a, a sense of, of that same awe, see? And a friend was going past, my Bible was up, they said, give me my Bible. He passed it down and I opened that thing up and just went boing, boing. Every, every page I opened was like 47 words, you know, boom, boom, oh, boom. And I'm, I ran out of fingers, you know, just, whoa, you know, just alive. So I have never prayed to that day that God would speak to me in an audible voice. I, he talks to me all the time now and... I don't want to hear that other one. <laughs> but uh, I know one woman that got saved. God spoke to an audible voice. This woman's family was falling apart. Um, they had one little boy that was keeping the family together. And then uh, finally a little girl was, was born. And finally this woman couldn't take it any longer. She... I really like her husband. Her husband was 10 years older than her. And she kind of married him more out of pity than love. And uh, finally she couldn't stand it anymore, and so she just up and split. She left, uh, she left home. She headed off to another country. Uh, she had already had asthma, right, difficulty in breathing. When she got to this other country, she contracted tuberculosis. and started eating into her lung, and here's difficulty in breathing, and then on top of that, lung disease. And she ran away from the voice of God. Not a religious woman, particularly. Um, no real great spiritual background or anything. Somebody who believed that God was up there, but had really nothing very much to do with people's lives. And uh, on the way back home, finally she had to come home, because this disease increasing, it's awful to get in another country. And, uh, and have a really bad disease. So she started heading home, and on the way home, she just came to an end of her life. She decided she'd just end it all. She'd throw herself into the water, hit that rock bottom called suicide. She was just standing there looking overboard into the water, trying to plug up the courage. It was about two in the morning to, to throw herself. She wasn't climbing over anything. She said a man just stepped out of the shadow. She'd never seen him before, a tall man just touched her on the shoulder, and she got an awful fright. And the man said, don't do it, and then walked away. How did he know? She wasn't climbing over anything, she was just looking. She might have. And she said her knees went like jelly, and she, <laughs> she, couldn't, she couldn't do it. She just completely lost all the courage, and then a couple of minutes later, she looked up, and she saw a light on the horizon, and it was the port. They were coming into port. It was too late. All the people started coming up on the deck. Instead of going back to her house and her family, she went up to a relative's place and sitting there, uh, they'd given her, they were building a new home and so they put her there on the floor of the home uh, and on a mattress where they could you know, fumigate at the house and stuff later. And lying there at about two or three in the morning, she began to weep and she began to curse God. And she said, God, if you really were a God of love, why did you let me get in such a mess? Why did you wreck my home and my family? Why did you let all this, you know? You only talk to God when you're in trouble. And uh, she said, I tried to kill myself and I couldn't do it. 
didn't have the gut, so she said, I, I tried to do it, I couldn't do it, so why don't you do it? Why don't you kill me? Why don't you just take my life right now, just take it? It's a dangerous prayer to pray to God. <laughs> Here was a secular woman in the bitterness and the hurt, crying out to God she didn't know, and said, you t but you really meant it. You, you kill me, you just take me. And she said, the door was locked, the windows were all closed, it was pitch dark in that room, and somebody came into the room, came right through the door, and the door was closed. Said I didn't see him, the room was pitch dark, but he came. He didn't walk, he didn't float, he just came. She said, I could tell you exactly how far he stood from the bed. I was like about six foot from the bed, and he was standing sideways to me, and he was looking at me, and then she said he spoke. She said it was a voice as real as any voice, and she said it was like the voice of everybody I'd all, ever loved in all my life rolled up into one person. It was like a, and she said the funny thing about it was, it was like I'd known them all my life and yet never met. I'd, I'd known this person, I knew him, I knew who he was, and yet I'd never met him, I knew that. And the voice just said two words, so I'm not going to tell you what the words are because it really wouldn't mean much to you. But to this person, it was an answer. It was a, it was a, a the beginning of a whole new search, a beginning of a whole new journey, a total transformation of a life. Just two words. Said just like the person came. He turned and then he left. She said, I felt him go right through the door. No doors opened, he just went. And she said, then I fell into the deepest sleep I've ever slept in my life. He said, I woke up in the morning and I felt alive, felt totally alive. And she said, then I pulled open the curtains and I looked out. She said, I saw for the very first time in my life that the sky was blue and the grass was green. And I heard music and I realized it was birds singing. And she said, then I took a breath and went all the way down. And there was no blood, no coughing, nothing. And she, she didn't understand what had happened to her. So she went down to the doctors for all the tests, and they took an x-ray, there was nothing, didn't find anything, and came back again, took another x-ray, and couldn't find anything, and thought he was going to kill her with radiation poisoning. And finally said, I don't understand it. This is your chart and shut it down. This your name? She said, uh-huh. She said, I don't understand this. I got an x-ray here with two whole perfect lungs. Here's one with half a lung eaten away, and here's the other one. Two whole perfect lungs. I don't understand it. So he called up all his medical friends, came over and had a conference. They came to the study conclusion that all the original diagnosis was wrong, was not tuberculosis, it was somehow the bottom half of the lung had got stuck to the top half and had not showed up in the x-ray and now, for equally mysterious reasons, it had become unstuck. <laughs> well, all I know is that that uh, woman came back to her home and this book became like a letter to her. She would, she'd read it hours and hours on end. She lost her taste for anything else in the world. And she'd just talk to God hour after hour after hour. Funny things started happening in her shop. 
You'd be praying and the Lord would show a face of somebody. She had a library, see. The Lord would say, say this to this lady. Then this lady would come in and uh, she'd be getting books and she'd put all these books up on the counter. Someone would see the face and she'd start to cry because she'd recognize the face and she'd say, this sounds silly to you, but the Lord told me to tell you this. Boom. Lady would go, ah! <laughs> fall over the counter and... This lady didn't know how to live in by the Lord. I mean, she didn't really know any Christians. So she would take him along to a church and say, this lady wants to get saved. You know, tell her how to get saved. Does <laughs> God still speak to people? Yep, sure does. That woman was my mother. And uh, I saw her. I saw a change. I was only nine years old. I was a brat. And my father used to argue day in and day out. And when she came back, she was a different woman. I, I don't know what happened. She never told us until years and years later. You know what she did? First week she got saved. She went to a church. And the pastor was preaching on the voice of God. Right? What a far out thing. The pastor said God still speaks to people today. And she was so excited. She came up to him. She said, you know, I really believe that. I believe God talks to people today. Because he spoke to me. And he looked at it and he said, he said, well, that's very nice, but he should go home and not think too deeply about these dreams. He said, I didn't really mean God talks to people. I didn't really mean that. I just meant that, you know, <laughs> and I'll tell you what happened. That church is now a grog shop. Can you believe that? Church closed down and emptied out, and a wine and spirits factory bought it. And now it sells unholy spirit. Now, I want to put this on record. God still speaks today. He does it. He doesn't do it often in an audible voice, but he still does it. How many of you have heard uh, of a man called Peter, the book or the film or seen it or read it or something? story of Peter Marshall. This was in the war years, of course. Peter Marshall was a young Scottish boy. He always wanted to go in the Navy. He failed his exam. He was really mad. He was, and the, the film does this very powerfully. One of the few films, Christian films, that really hit the secular market and still to this day has a powerful, powerful impact. Uh, Ben-Hur would be probably one of the few others that have really had a touch of God in them. And both of them dealing with the, the intervention of God in human life. And I, I think there's an enormous hunger in people's lives for this. But uh, according to Peter Marshall, he was taking a shortcut back home through the woods. And uh, he thought he was heading the right direction, following the right path. There's very thick Scottish fog. And uh, as he was walking, he suddenly heard a voice calling his name. He said, Peter. And he stopped and thought, Somebody followed him out from the place. And he looked around and he said, yes. There's no, no answer. And then he went to take another step and the voice came again. Peter, much more urgent. He stopped again. He said, who is it? Who's there? No answer. And then he turned around to speak again. The voice was close, urgent. Peter. And then he really stopped. 
<laughs> and then he looked around, and the wind blew, and fog rolled back, and he saw right in front of him a cliff, dropping far hundreds of feet below into a quarry filled with rock. One more step, one more, and he would have gone right over to his death. And that boy came running back out through the woods and he said to his mother, I've got a call to the ministry. <laughs> now, you know, we need some people who hear the voice of God today. We ought to have some more in society. And I'm not just talking about the audible voice. People who know God, know him well enough to live with them in that solid central reality, which is genuine biblical Christianity. God has not planned to set up a wind-up Christian universe and step out of it. He wants to minister to us, to talk to us, to guide us. Remember, this is one of the greatest testimonies of the reality of God. I said it before. Sinners do not mind if you talk to God. What really bothers them is God talks to you. Okay, let me give you a few things about the voice of God. Uh, scribble these down. First, these are a few examples from Scripture. Uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 3, 1 through to 10. Uh, heard the voice of God, an audible voice this was. Moses, of course, Exodus 3, verses 4 through to 6. The people on Mount Sinai, sometimes an entire congregation heard the audible voice of God in Exodus 19, 19. And uh, Hebrews 12, 18 to 19. Aaron and Miriam heard the voice of God. Numbers 12, 5 through to 8. Elijah heard the audible voice of God, 1 Kings 19, 9 through to 13. The Lord Jesus, of course, and a watching crowd heard the voice of God, John 12, verse 27 to 30. John 12, verse 27 to 30. And then, of course, Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, heard the voice of God in Acts 9, verses 1 through to 7. Acts 9, verses 1 through to 7. Now, these are some of the scriptural examples of people that were spoken to by an audible voice. The last one was Acts 9, 1 to 7, and the crowd one was John 12, 27 to 30. Now, the reason why we know these are all audible voices because the context of these things uh, shows us very clearly it wasn't just something in their minds or an impression they had. For instance, with this crowd, the, 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 the people, some of them said it is the voice of an angel, some said it thundered. They heard there was real vibration in the air. But then others heard a voice. And the voice said, this is my son, my beloved. Hear him. Uh... I want to give you a few tests for the voice of God. This is a rare thing, and I'll tell you why in a second. These three forms of supernatural guidance we will look at are rare because of a principle by which God works. You need to understand this principle. First of all, it is an unspooky voice. I need to say that word, unspooky. You know what spooky is? Well, this is not. So many people have a strange idea of the voice of God. They have it with echo chamber, fuzz, reverb, and phase shift. 
Moses, 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 Moses. All right, right, right. Dumb. God's voice is not spooky. You know how I know it's not spooky? First Samuel, chapter 3, verses 4 through to 5, when little Samuel was a boy, God began to deal with him. How young does God deal with kids, by the way? Very, very young. John the Baptist got filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb. You can't get any younger than that. <laughs> we have an inbuilt cynicism to kid preachers, but, you know, God has used little kids before to speak to adults. Little kids are sometimes more perceptive than their parents in terms of spiritual things. And little kids, beautiful thing. Uh, Samuel, uh, let's see, is Samuel Chadwick? No. Uh, Samuel Rutherford. He was a famous Scottish saint. And he was a little boy. He was playing with some of his friends, and he fell into a well. You can imagine falling down into a well. You know, no way you get out with the slippery sides of that thing. Way down in there, and he was drowning. He couldn't swim. So his friends ran off to get help. They didn't get any help till 20 minutes later. When they came back, he was sitting on a rock, drying out. And they, they said, how did you get out? He said, a bonnie man in white came and pulled me out. So, you know, little kids, man, they're really heavy little dudes. <laughs> and uh, if, a, if a home uh, brings up children in the love and the nurture and admonition of God, the, the spiritual sensitivity. Well, here's a little kid. Eli, the one who was in charge of him, remember Samuel had been prayed for when he was a little boy. His mother had always wanted a son. She promised the Lord she'd dedicate this boy to him. And uh, he was put right into the service, the priesthood. Eli, who was his uh, kind of foster dad and bringing him up in the priesthood and stuff like this, he was far away from God. He could hardly recognize the voice of God at all. This little kid was asleep, and he hears a voice. Just about getting ready to go to sleep, and he hears this voice. Samuel. Now, if you're a little kid... And the voice sounded like this. Samuel, oh, 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 oh. You would not get up and go to Eli, what do you want? You'd come running in with your hair standing on end, go, ah, the spooky in the bedroom. So what is important about this, this is a familiar voice. It was a voice like he knew. All, you know, all little Samuel knew was that Eli was his friend, and you know, so it was a voice. It was a comfortable voice. It's a bit. I don't want to use the word familiar voice because that has occult um, overtones. A familiar voice. Um, I mean, comfortable. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, this is not the voice of somebody who is dead that you know. My grandmother was speaking to me last night was probably the Lord. No, it was not. Probably some demon. <laughs> that comfortable voice. Do you understand what I mean? This is a nice, comfortable voice. He wasn't freaked out. He wasn't spooked. He was comfortable. And uh, my mother said it was like the voice of somebody I knew, and yet had never met. And that happened three times. Imagine, first time he gets up, you spoke to me, uh-uh, did not go back to sleep. Second time he hears that voice, Eli, you know, Samuel, 
So he goes back to Eli and he goes, yeah, what do you want? And, and Eli says, I didn't talk to you. Go back. The third time, the voice says, Samuel. And he thinks, boy, this is really some test. And he goes back and he says, you did speak to me. And finally, old Eli cottons on. Maybe it's your Lord. <laughs> so he tells him, you know, um, next time you say, speak for your servant hears. And uh, that's exactly what happened. He said that, and the Lord spoke to him. He said, I'm going to use you to make you a mighty man of God. You're going to be a circuit-riding preacher, Samuel. And that's what he was. All right? Now, we'll say then it's an unspooky voice. There's no tension. There's no harshness. There's no strangeness in the voice of God. It's a very comfortable voice. God is the most natural, normal being in the universe. Do not put freaky things on him. He is much less freaky than you are. He is normal. Everything else is a little abnormal. He is normal. Do you understand? The closer you get to God, the more normal and the more ordinary and the more unspooky you will become. That is the exact reverse of what people think is true in the spiritual world. They think if you're really a heavy man or woman of God, you'd be going around... Thus saith the Lord, many visions have come my way, you know, and all this stuff. That is a bunch of hogwash. I have met and talked to what I believe are some of the hairiest saints that have ever walked the face of this planet. People have seen the, the miraculous as a matter of course, and the more powerful they are, the more down home and ordinary they are. them all. You must understand, if a person's got a prophetic ministry, it's hard to be honest close to them. They don't make a lot of friends. But they're normal people. They're ordinary people. They're not special. They've got a very special God. They are so down home, you can't believe it. I live next door to David Wilkerson now when I'm in the U.S., and he's a guy I've admired all my life. And, you know, when he preaches, brother, I get on my knees automatically. I'm going to be at the end of it, so I might as well Start there. <laughs> but David's so, so down home. You get there and he drives you around in his Jeep and, you know, it's really a trippy thing, man. I'm always suspicious of people who have deep spiritual revelations that are spooky. You need to know God more. You understand what I'm saying? Unspooky. You don't have to be afraid of God. He's not. You, can, you should be, have that awesome reverence of God. You never get too familiar with them. You can't go, hey, buddy boy, and all this stuff. I hear kids talking about God, and I haven't spent a minute in his presence. This loose, light, flippant, hey, 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 you know, and this kind of stuff. When you hit God, you hit a person, but you hit an infinite person. This one glimpse of that infinite is enough to make your hair stand on the end. When God speaks to you, he's a, he's a person, 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 kind. Uh, he is called, and his voice is called the voice of the good shepherd. They hear his voice. So we'll say this. There's love and kindness and gentleness in the voice of God. It never disturbs our spiritual peace. Even when God's telling you off, there is a profound peace in the center of his heart. Sometimes God speaks strongly to people. He challenges them. Sometimes when he speaks, I've heard people say, Heard God speak to them in the voice of a commander. Stand up. Stand up. Go. See, but not, 
stand up. You know, this kind of, this harshness and this strangeness is alien, alien, alien. The voice of God, here's some words, warm and secure. It's never confusing so that you can't think. The presence of God, you think more clearly than you've ever thought in your life. Things become crystal clear. In the demonic world, there's confusion and voices. There's always... John 3, verses 29 to 30, tells us something else about the voice of God. It says that this voice causes joy. Friend of the bridegroom rejoices at the bridegroom's voice. So the voice of God will lift you up in your heart. It will cause joy and release. Even if he's telling you off, it is a positive, uplifting voice. It is not a demanding or bossy voice. It may have authority in it, but it is not bossy. John 3, 29 to 30. We'll never urge you to make sudden action without a chance to intelligently weigh the issues. We'll never demand that you unthinkingly do something without a chance to choose. There's always choice involved when God guides. There's never a no choice. He will say, I set before you this day life and death, and you choose. Now, this is a practical and simple thing I've noticed. Um... Rather than sort of coming like this, like from a long way and then coming in, like that, it's more like there. It's, the voice of God is like, it's there. You know where God is? It's everywhere at once, right? You don't have to come from out there. He upholds every part of the reality of your being. Apostle Paul understood this when he said, in him we live and move and have our very existence in the presence of God. So we pray a bit funny sometimes. We ask God to be with us, which is a very strange prayer, actually, <laughs> come to think of it. What we're really asking is that the sense of the presence of God would be with us. We really can't go any place in the universe where he isn't. Right? Okay, that's that. I'm not going to give you a lot more on this. I'll just say that he does this sometimes. But if you hear voices and you're in the habit of hearing voices, you better know whether or not those voices are... Their voices probably isn't the voice of God. I have 16 voices in my head. Probably all the voice of God, the 16 spirits of the Lord. Probably not. Second, dreams and visions. Now, this is another big popular area. If you wrote a book on how to have a dream and vision... Will probably be a bestseller. Do people in the Bible ever get guidance from dreams and visions? The answer is yes, very, very many times. A surprising number of people in the Bible were guided by dreams. Until you actually get out of good old concordance and look this up, you will not believe how many times God has spoken to people through dreams. Now, I am of the personal opinion that the dream is one of the most powerful ways in which God can give us things that we could not normally have explained to us. The dream is like a Holy Ghost commercial. 
You know what a commercial is? They spend hundreds of thousands of dollars producing a 30-second spot, sometimes a 15-second spot. Whatever happened to Rodney Allen? <laughs> 15 seconds. They work for thousands of man-hours to come up with 30 seconds. But in that 30 seconds, some of the dumbest-looking commercials are loaded with hidden stuff. For instance, you may go, oh, no, not this shaman again. Please don't squeeze the shaman, you know. That hooks into your mind, and when you go past the supermarket, you go, oh, there's some shaman. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And throw it on your shopping basket, and you buy it, right? The Holy Ghost can prepare a commercial to give to you in a condensed, lucid, visual way something which could not normally be explained in any other way. And this is not mysticism. This is a plain, solid fact of Scripture. He does this. A lot of people don't believe this. They go, well, dreams and visions. I mean, we're really getting far out now, aren't we? This is in the Bible. There's more on dreams and God guiding by dreams than almost any other form of direct, supernatural guidance there is in Scripture. Matter of fact, Christ stayed alive because of a dream. Remember that? Joseph was, was going to quietly divorce Mary because he found out she was pregnant and he knew he wasn't the father. Angel of the Lord appeared in a dream and the angel of the Lord appeared again in a dream and warned them, take the child and flee into Egypt because there's going to be a mass destruction of all the babies. If he had a said, well, I don't believe God speaks to people in dreams, Christ would have been killed. You understand? There is real guidance in these things. Now, you better know this about dreams, though. Not all dreams, quite obviously, are the result of the Holy Spirit. I used to say we have three kinds of dreams. Dreams that come from God, dreams that come from the devil or the demonic world, and the dreams that come from pizza. <laughs> Now, a pizza dream <laughs> is not created by the pizza. What it is, is the pizza makes you sleep lightly so you can remember the dream. <laughs> but the pizza dream, which is a common dream, you see your mind, it can t it, there's all kinds of different, people are really studying dreams today. A great deal of research has been done on it. My science fiction novel is called The Coming of the Dreamer. So I've had to do a lot of study and research on dreams and Say this, the pizza dream, the ordinary old everyday um, feedback of the dream can be recognized easily. It is uh, rambly, confused, um, being chased around the moon by a giant marshmallow, you know, backs you up against a rock and leaps at you and you open your mouth and you swallow it. Then you wake up and your pillow is gone. These dreams are fairly uh, obvious and easy to, uh, to recognize as not being particularly supernatural. And as a matter of fact, research has shown there are at least seven different kinds of dreams. I'm not going to give them all. I'll just say that I believe in, in terms of our purposes, a pizza dream is not the kind of dream we're talking about. The dream that comes from the Spirit of God 
we'll give you uh, some instances if you scribble these down. Um, sometimes these are visions. A vi the only difference between a dream and a vision, as far as I can see, is that a vision takes place with your eyes open when you're awake during the daytime, and a dream takes place when you're asleep with your eyes closed, which may or may not be in the nighttime, depending on when you're tired. But let's give you a few of these. Uh, Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Ezekiel saw a real Star Wars type science fiction type vision. Ezekiel 1, 1 to 28. Ezekiel 1, 1 to 28. And then remember Nebuchadnezzar who had that dream that we talked about? God gave him this dream. We missed it. In Daniel 2, verses 1 through to 19, Daniel 2, 1 through to 19, Nebuchadnezzar was given this dream, a uh, spooky dream, really shocked him. Remember Pharaoh was given a dream about the lean ears, uh, ears of wheat and the lean cattle eating up the fat cattle and uh, all of these things. And in both cases, God had a man who understood and could interpret dreams. Joseph in one case, Daniel in the other. And Daniel's life was spared because he understood that God could give dreams and could interpret them. You can imagine when Nebuchadnezzar had this um, dream and he couldn't remember it and he was going to wake up in the morning and kill everybody because they couldn't tell him what his dream was. You imagine how Daniel prayed when he went to sleep that night. He said, God, you know, I'd really like to know what that dream was and what it means. And the Bible says then was the secret revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So he's asleep, and he's or awake, I don't know, whatever he had, and he saw this dream. The same one which had been given to Pharaoh. And the interesting thing is this was certainly not a pizza dream. It was about wheat, but it had nothing to do with pizza. It was a real supernatural warning given by God to the leader of a nation. Which means that God can use dreams to speak to secular people. And that's a heavy thing, because we think the only way that God can talk to a secular person is through a Christian speaking, or a tract or something, you know? Or seeing a Christian film. But every time a sinner goes to sleep, God can put a movie in his head about reality. And of course, you know, at the end of that, God explained not only what the dream was, explained what it meant. And as a direct result, Daniel was given all of this tremendous authority in the kingdom. And as a result of Joseph's dream, got him out of prison. And he was promoted from um, top dude in prison, top prisoner, to second in command in the whole of Egypt, which was a fairly heavy result of one dream. Uh, and then, what about Peter in the book of Acts? Chapter 10, verse 9 to 16. Let's look at this one because it's kind of a fun one. Acts, chapter 16. No, it's 10, sorry. 10. Acts 10. By the way, this deals with this question, what about the heathen? Same chapter, deals with the question, what about the heathen? We have a dumb theology today. We say... A heathen doesn't go to hell for sinning. He goes to hell for rejecting Christ. And we say that. I've heard it said so many times, I've said it myself. 
Man doesn't go to hell for sinning, he goes to hell for, accepting, for rejecting Christ. So on that basis, if you have a hundred happy heathen who have never heard about Christ, and you go and preach to them, 50 of them accept the Lord, 50 of them reject, you just sent 50 people to hell. You wouldn't have gone there if you hadn't come and preached. That's dumb. No wonder we ask these dumb questions about what about the heathen, you see? Because we assume that a person is lost because he rejects the name of Christ. Now that happens to be true, but it's not the fundamental reason why people are lost. They're lost because they sin. The parallel is, here is a cure for cancer and somebody is dying of cancer. And we say, well, it's not the cancer that's killing them, it's the fact they don't accept the remedy. The point is, if there was no remedy, would they die? And the answer is yes, they'd die because of cancer. The reason why sinners die is because they sin. Why did the sinner's death? If Christ had never come, they would still die. Christ didn't come to judge the world, he came to save it. He said that himself. And what people reject is truth, who ultimately is Jesus Christ. It's a far worse thing to reject Jesus than to reject the truth, which ultimately is him in many, many different ways. If you lie, you do go against the truth, you ultimately go against he who is the truth of the universe. So you're doubly guilty if you reject Jesus. You're guilty for rejecting the truth you knew about reality, and you're guilty for rejecting he who is the epitome and the whole heart of that truth. Here is a heathen. He is not a Jew. He is not a Christian. He doesn't know anything about God in terms of content. All he is is a man who believes that God is around, believes that God is real. And he so believes that, that he's willing to step out of all of this Roman idolatry, which is basically man's lusts project, projected into stone, and cry out to God. The Bible says he was an Italian, he might have been in the mafia, who knows? Yeah, he was a devout man, though. He feared God with all his house. He gave money away to the people and he prayed to God always. This is an honest, seeking, searching dude who does not know God, but he fears him. And he's doing his best. He's giving money away to help people and he's praying. See that? So what does God do? God breaks a precedent that has been gone for thousands of years. First of all, he's got to, he's got to spend three perfectly good visions in order to just get one of his servants to do this. This is so shocking. Peter, in the meantime, is having a prayer meeting up on top of this house and uh, about the sixth hour which is about 12 midday because the Jewish day starts at six o'clock sixth hour the six plus six is 12 midday Peter's up there and he's praying he's really hungry and it's McDonald's time and he's going to go down and pick up fish burgers and while they're cooking the meal he falls into a trance and he sees heaven open and a big vessel descending to him as it had been a great sheet with four corners let down to the earth. And there's all kinds of beasties in this thing, creeping things, and it seems like there's some unkosher food in there. And a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything which is common or unclean. You know I'm a good Jew, I stick with lamb, ham, ram, no ham. <laughs> Only ram, jam, sheep, and mutton. I don't deal with anything else. The voice spoke to him again the second time. What 
God has cleansed, do not call common. Did this three times. Right, Peter? Lord, I... Three times. Well, after you get this three times, you know this is pretty important, right? Exactly at that point, there is a knock on the door downstairs. Peter never gets to eat his hamburger, apparently. And these people... And Peter's asking, what does this mean? What does this mean? And then knock, knock, knock. And here come the servants from the pagan Cornelius' house. And they say, hey, is Peter living here? Well, you can imagine how freaky that is because they're hiding the Christians in different... Uh, is Peter living here? And they say, hello, uh, Peter? And Peter's thinking on it, and the Spirit says to him, three men are looking for you. Go, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. You just don't open your door in those days and say, sure, I'm Peter, what do you want? Because you usually get a spear right in your midriff. So Peter goes down from his rooftop hideout, and he goes with these three guys, and then he arrives, and they said, Cornelius is sent here in a just man, one that fears God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews. Now that is a heavy thing, because the Romans had conquered the Jews. Can you imagine this centurion really being spoken well of by the people who represented the nation that he'd conquered? Was warned from God by a holy angel to send for you into his house and to hear words of you. And then they called him in, they stayed the night, and then they went away. And as Peter was coming, old Cornelius, he didn't know a prophet from a Messiah. He fell on his knees, started worshipping. <laughs> oh, no, no. And Peter goes, stand up, I'm just a man, man. Get up. How embarrassing. <laughs> and as he's talking, Cornelius has got an entire congregation together there, man. You can imagine what a heavy meeting this is. And he said, and here's Peter's opening how to win Romans and influence Greeks, right? Uh, you know how it's unlawful for a Jew to hang around with people like you. Real prejudice in Peter's heart. However, God has showed me that you should call no man unclean or common. And that's why I came to you. And then I want to ask you, why did you send for me? Cornelius says, well, Four days ago I was fasting till this hour. Ninth hour I prayed in my house, and a man stood before me in bright clothing, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard, your arms are in remembrance, go and send Simon. So Peter, he's blown away. He opens his mouth, he says, oh, You mean God is not a respecter of persons? Oh, thought he only spoke to Jews. You mean he doesn't just talk to the in crowd? In every nation, check this verse, he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. And then he starts to preach about Jesus and about the crucifixion and about the resurrection and he gets the essential content of this thing down and boom, the Holy Ghost interrupts Peter. Peter is the only one in all the disciples who has the dubious privilege of being interrupted by all three members of the Godhead at some point or other in his ministry. <laughs> and of course, uh, the rest of the story there is obvious. The men is outpouring the Spirit of God. And God says, okay, Peter, that's not preaching. Shut up. My turn. So, let me give you some tests for 
a God-driven dream or a vision. It's a very realistic thing. It's like an actual scene of life. Pizza dreams are rambly confused, but a biblical dream, a dream that comes from the spiritual world, is a very real thing. It's, it's just like a slice of life, full-color, stereo sound type thing. It's real. You don't think of this thing as, as um, just a dream. You, you usually wake up straight after it, too. You go, wow. And there's a sense of import and value. Every person had a Bible dream when they woke up. They knew it was from God. They knew it. There was that sense of supernatural urgency in it. There was that sense of import and value. This is no Mickey Mouse thing. I've been spoken to tonight by God. Uh, it is short. It is not rambly or confused. It's not 48 hours long. You know, I had this dream, and you know, it's a short, defined, clear thing. Uh, no, no dream in the Bible to account, you know, to to uh, to record it would have taken much longer to retell it than five minutes. And then, in practical experience, people who have a biblical dream would. Uh, when you wake up, you feel very close to Christ. There's a sense of closeness to Christ. You feel spiritually refreshed or challenged. And then you'll, you'll be awakened to the claims of God on your life. Acts 26, verse 19. Acts 10, 19. This verse we just looked at. And Acts 16, 10. These are all... They have a purpose to them, these dreams. Now, let us say this, that visions are never given in mentally non-active conditions. You notice this in a dream, your mind is working in a dream. You notice that? Your mind is working. There is actually some amount of involvement sometimes in this thing. You feel like you could make choices in this dream and go in different directions, and you do. Now, let me give you three reasons why I think God likes to speak to us in dreams. Have you ever noticed that in a dream the simplest things become absolutely profound? How many of you have ever written a poem or something in a dream or a song or something? Have you ever done that? Put your hands up, okay? And you woke up and you said, oh, far out, and you wrote it down, right? And then you looked in the morning at it. And it really wasn't that good. You know, when, when you, it was so heavy and so profound when, you know, just, bro, this is the heaviest thing that has ever been written in the whole universe. And then you wake up and, you know, it was all right, but it really wasn't that profound. Now, the simplest things take on a total intensity in a dream. As a matter of fact, this is a legal way of getting stoned. <laughs> And I believe God has designed the dream as a means of intensifying simple perception, which is not only legal, it is necessary. As a matter of fact, modern research has found that if you do not dream, you will go crazy. Do you know it is more important for you to dream than it is for you to sleep? Now that sounds weird, but they can, they can tell when you're dreaming now. They have a thing called REM, rapid eye movement. Your eyes start flicking just like a movie projector has gone from your brain on the backs of your eyelids. Flick, 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 flick. And they found this. If they wake a person up when he starts to rim, 
so he doesn't dream anymore and then let him sleep again and then he rams and they wake him up again he can have all kinds of sleep but if he doesn't dream he will start going crazy within a week he will start to hallucinate and go crazy if you do not dream some of you think you don't dream it's just that you sleep well and you can't remember so let us say this it is important that you dream it's a legal way of getting stoned isn't that neat? not only legal it is necessary and in that dream you don't need grass and all this trip God is quite willing to give you an intense alteration of perception in a nice legal way so you can wake up and go wasn't that far out went off to Narnia again last night you know this is a neat thing the other thing and with this we close God can give you a preview in a dream of a situation which if you got into practically now would blow you away so has real serious weaknesses blind spots in their lives that we do not realize nobody points them out to us and if we go on in the, in, with that problem in our lives we'll fall into a situation where we'll get blown away we'll lose our whole relationships with others our ministry everything God will put sometimes that situation in a dream and preview for for you and in that dream you go into that situation and you will blow it in the dream and then you wake up and go oh, baby and the idea of that is this get that problem corrected before you meet that real thing in life and the neat thing simple it's an advanced preview of a problem you're about to have and you'll see it down the line exactly the same thing coming up okay let's close in prayer because time's running out father we thank you for the ways that you've spoken in the scriptures uh, we thank you for the audible voice of God which few people have heard we thank you for the way you speak through dreams and through visions and uh, we acknowledge again this is your word this is the scripture we just want to make ourselves sensitive as much as we can to the voice of God so that uh, we can recognize when you're talking to us in Jesus name Amen Okay, take a break. Supernatural methods of guidance. There you have that part. Uh, part. Uh, that's. I guess that's part two of the series. We've got two more to go. Uh, you can also find more information on this if you if you have the Youth of Flame manual. It's in the chapter called Philip. And if you want to find more, there's uh, training tracks on moh.org. Go to moh.org and click on discipleship training materials. You can also look at videos, and there are more videos and audios on this topic on moh.org. So this is a very important uh, topic for many of you, especially if you're younger in the Lord and you don't have experience uh, hearing his voice and knowing how to find his will. So thanks for tuning in this week, and we'll see you next time for, um, let's see, next time will be number 12. It'll be podcast number 12, but that's it for number 11. Thank you, and see you guys.